Welcome to the Coaching Focus podcast. And today we're exploring how to make it to a senior leadership role as a younger person and overcome the challenges that present themselves once you are there. To help us explore this interesting topic is Lara Roche. Lara is an experienced executive coach of 15 years, working across the full range of challenges and opportunities a professional career can bring. Her background in psychology, coupled with her decades spent at board level, means Lara is able to help focus the solution on a win-win for both the individual and for the organisation. Lara, welcome. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here on our podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'd like to dive straight in, if I may, Lara, and sort of clarify for our listeners and for myself, I guess, um, what do you mean by senior leadership and what do you mean by younger person? Well, I guess you're right to dive straight into the fairly ambiguous terms there. Mm -hmm. Um, Senior leadership, to my mind, is where somebody is making the leap from more of a doing role to more of a thinking role. It's often that leap between the tactical day-to-day doing and even perhaps doing those things through other people into that more strategic space, that more thinking space. And also it also involves um, moving into different zones, perhaps the type of meeting you haven't been in before. Perhaps the level of stakeholder is different and more senior. There's no, in my experience, hard and fast rule as to this Mm. is a senior leadership role, this isn't. But I do think that senior leadership roles have those characteristics of being more strategy driven planning and definitely focused on getting results for other people but much more long term much more future focused than the day-to-day do of here and now yeah and, and i like that differentiating between doing and thinking mm. so you're thinking of the future and how you might achieve that and then getting others to or facilitating others to then deliver on that absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. Nice. And the other way I just the way I look at senior leaders as well is certainly in large corporates, a senior leader is someone who's managing other managers rather than just managing groups. That might be another way to help our our listeners as as we go through that. Absolutely. And and also checking in with yourself about um, I coach all sorts of people who are making the transition from usually from manager to leader, whatever that might be called in their organisation. It might be called director, it might be called um, senior manager, it might be called strategic partner, whatever it's called. Regardless of the title, my experience as a coach of people who are making that transition is they know when they're making it (laughs) because it feels uncomfortable and it feels like the step up that everybody talks about. And a lot of them say things like it feels like a different league. The players are different, the rules are different. The day looks different. The month looks different. It feels like a different league. So whatever that's termed in your organisation, whatever badge or label they attach to it, you will know when you're making that transition up to senior leadership. Yeah. And and if we may, I'd love to explore that. How do you know? And and you've sort of outlined briefly, but I'd love to explore in this podcast some of those things. So if people are making that transition with either knowing it or not knowing it, what are they going to feel? And I guess... Those are, from your world, knowing that those are quite natural feelings and concerns to have. And we're going to explore Mm. some Mm. of those. Can we come on to the other part of the question, which is the younger person? Because I'm 55 and I would say I'm still a young person. But just to help us with our listeners clarify what we mean by younger. 
So I think when we're talking in senior leadership terms and making it to senior leadership as a younger person, I wouldn't see it so much as X age, this number, okay. um, but more as what it would be considered breaking the mould wherever you are. For some organisations, having senior leaders at the age of early 30s or even younger isn't abnormal at all, particularly with some of the rises we've seen in, in the tech space, in the social media space, for example. Um, but in other more traditional organisations, the idea of a 20-something-year-old sitting around a board table is just unfathomable, you know, that nobody does that. Everyone around this board table is X number of decades plus. Um, so I'd more see it not so much as this age, but as a younger person than the norm, wherever you are. Yeah, OK, OK, that makes sense. And I guess, as you say, that sector orientated um, and just w whatever the norms are and breaking the mould's a nice way of, of looking at that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe come back to that. It just feels different. Give our listeners a flavour of what that those feelings are different and how you I think you said you just know. So right. give us an understanding of those. OK, so some of the things that people I coach who are making that transition from manager to senior leader, for example, um, talk largely about three things. First of all, they talk about the players being different, the people around them being different, the level yeah. of stakeholder being different, um, the level or seniority of meetings they attend being different. The, suddenly the pool of people who are their peers and their stakeholders is very different. Mm. Up, if you like, yeah. perhaps in terms of the way they look at things, their experience, but also sometimes in terms of years served when you're in an organisation with leaders who are older than yourself. Um, the second thing they talk about is um, how they spend their time being quite different, that it used to be all about doing the do of today and this week, even when they're managing people, it's about hitting this target that's right in front of us. Um, and they talk about that being completely different, that it becomes a lot more about the thinking, the strategic thought you put into not just today, but where we're going next week, next month, next year. Yeah. What, what do we need to be becoming skilled at or um, networked in in order to be able to meet that future tomorrow well? Um, and because of that big shift in terms of, I guess, mindset and how you spend your time as a senior leader, the third thing that a lot of my coaches talk about is the discomfort. It feels uncomfortable. I used to be doing the do and I used to be able at the end of the day, say to whoever or often even just to myself, I've delivered that, that and that today. Or right. this week I've done this, this and this. Or this thing is up and running this month because of me. And that feels very comfortable as a way of proving your impact, justifying your worth, including to yourself. And there's often this real discomfort that comes with having to, well, a lot of your worth and your impact comes from intangible, less visible things, mm. thought, planning, influence. It's less easy to point to, which means that it can feel quite uncomfortable for you in terms of finding ways to prove your impact but it can also means it can feel quite uncomfortable with finding ways to prove your worth to yourself which is why we see imposter syndrome creep in so often when people make this transition from manager to leader it's because of that discomfort of not being able to point to there it is that's what I've delivered that's my contribution and okay. to become more comfortable with thinking 
than with just doing. Yeah. So what I'm hearing, then, three core things from what you said. One, there'll be different people in the room and you'll be having a conversation with different people. So the stakeholder element of it and the uh, areas of conversation will be more strategic that you're having and more longer term. Mm. But the key thing that people will feel is that I guess my words, not yours, but they haven't really contributed. <laughs> you know, before as a manager, again, using your language, is that I could have done ABC and I've done that. I've gone home and that's what's been. But now it's more nebulous about mm. the value that I'm contributing to the organisation. And therefore, you start doubting yourself whether you're being effective in that role. Yes, absolutely. And I think you can even feel that within a single meeting. You need to become, whereas in previous meetings, you were probably somebody would ask a question and you'd be able to say the answer's that. It's that because that is the answer. Mm. You're more likely to be posed with much more longer term, future focused questions that become apparent to you because of your expertise and because of the experience you amass in the role. But you need to be able to become more comfortable with saying, there's quite a lot to unpack there and that's something I'm going to need to take away or I'm going to need to give that some thought. I'm going to need to come back with a suggested strategy. And that becomes uncomfortable as well for somebody who's been used to being the go to person in a meeting who mm. can do question answer like that. Yeah. And what I notice, Laura, is that when I'm working with someone at the senior level is they have this capacity to be comfortable with not knowing. Yes. And, and they're OK with that. They don't you know, mm. they don't feel like they need to know the answer all the time because you say they've got to go away and, and do more research or they'll seek others around the table who have that expertise, who have that answer to so facilitate the solution from mm. others rather than have the solution themselves. Absolutely. And yeah. I think when you're an individual contributor or even a manager, you are an inch wide, a mile deep. You know a lot about probably very little actually but you know a lot you have the answer to everything you are the expert on that thing when you become a senior leader you're inevitably across a lot you're you're across a wide patch of a team or even teams often of people who are more inch wide mile deep in that level that expertise yeah so you will be managing people and leading people who are more expert on specific thing x than you are and so there's also that needing to go back and consult with the internal experts because you're more likely to be a mile wide and inch deep as a senior yeah. leader yeah. and your contribution comes from how well you pull on those different strings across your team how well you coordinate those efforts um it's a bit like that classic analogy of going from being um an instrumental person in an orchestra like your lead violinist for example to mm. being an orchestra conductor where you might not be able to play every instrument in your orchestra. You might sure. have to pick up instrument X and not be able to play it at all, but you can pull all those different components together in the most incredible, powerful way. And, and that's the skill of a leader. And that's a lovely analogy. And I guess with that, when you're conducting the orchestra, if I can use that analogy, there also comes a greater sense of responsibility and, and ownership, which again is another shift. You know, I was responsible for this, to playing the violin, suddenly responsible for all of this and I guess in seeing it the orchestra and realizing that you've got this resources and people that you are now accountable for and they're going to look up to you mm -hmm. creates a, a different type of pressure or feeling for, for some. Mm -hmm. Absolutely and it's also where the leadership responsibility for culture comes in to my mind. Yeah. Um, when you're the violinist you play your violin in your one seat and you do your job and then you leave 
when you're the orchestra, you are you're the conductor rather, you're responsible for the tone you set in the orchestra as a whole, in the way it feels when people walk into the orchestra room in the first place, yeah, in the way nice. you deal with individual people's individual instrumentalists' crises of confidence or tricky bits of performance around a particular set of bars, the tone you set will also determine how well people can play their instruments. Yeah, that's, that's, a, really, that's a really nice, for me, that's a really nice difference because you're start, people will look up to you as a senior leader mm. um, and they will follow your lead mm. uh, in the behaviours and the values that, that you set, which then obviously links into the culture. I hadn't thought of that. It's a really nice point. And ultimately drives their performance. It ultimately yes. means that literally all of your team can play to their best. Yeah, great. So um, I, I'm picking up on those four areas. So the sort of the stakeholders, the, the strategy, the way that people will, will feel. We talked about the imposter syndrome and also setting the sort of the, the tone, the culture. <laughs> So help our listeners understand how you work with individuals to develop those new skills, but also to feel more comfortable within a senior leadership role. Mm-hmm. So part of the work I do with people who are, we call, call it transition coaching, moving from um, a middle manager role to a senior leadership role. Part of the work I do is on the practical side. How do I actually do those things that leadership requires? Yep. So a very pragmatic way we will work together on strategic thinking tools planning tools um, stakeholder mapping Mm. um, skills around stakeholder influencing because when that not only drives competence for a senior leadership role it also drives confidence if I'm moving to a senior leadership role and I feel I've got tools in the leadership toolkit bag um, then I'm going to feel more confident entering into that arena because I'm tooled up And it means it also reduces some of that discomfort because it means if I've set aside an hour or two hours or half a day in my diary to do strategic thinking, rather than sitting there with a blank sheet of paper and thinking, oh, my goodness, nothing's coming. I've got tools I can use, frameworks I can um, use to guide my thinking. I've got just things I can do when I'm thinking, which I think helps ease that leap we talked about from doing to thinking I've yeah. got things that I can pull on so I definitely do a lot of coaching work helping upskill people in those tools and techniques that help them feel more comfortable bridging the gap between the do and the thinking yeah. um, the other side of work I do with with leaders is around the discomfort for new leaders how do I get over that discomfort I feel with um having to own this new space how do I deal with the imposter syndrome of walking into a meeting of people who are perhaps all older than me or how do I deal with the discomfort of knowing that they 10 years at this level perhaps that I don't have um and how do I deal with the discomfort and of of not having the answer immediately mm-hmm. and of lot of the times when I'm going to be able to prove impact being far down the line Often leaders are working on much more long term projects or solutions or opportunities, which means it's going to be a long time before they've got something to point to. So I do quite a lot of work with leaders on imposter syndrome. Um, I read a stat from uh, KPMG the other day. uh, Three quarters of executive women in particular struggle with imposter syndrome. Three quarters. Mm. That's an incredible amount. So it probably won't surprise you that just about every senior leader I work with has or has had imposter syndrome in one form or another at some point. 
Yeah, and it's certainly my experience that uh, whether they call it imposter syndrome, but a self-doubt that they hold on to. And it's interesting you talk about not only building the the competence, but also the confidence, um, because the lack of confidence of whether they can do the role or then it moves on to whether I'm doing a good enough role. Mm. Um, so, you know, whatever we call it, imposter syndrome or some of those elements that I know imposter syndrome has, it's certainly present. And um, that number sadly doesn't surprise me uh, no. either for women or for men. I just think men are a little bit better at um, hiding it and not disclosing mm. it. Um, but there's, I like to think that there should also be a reassurance in that. If you are somebody entering a leadership arena for the first time, be it as a younger person or indeed as any person, and you're feeling some degree of imposter syndrome, look around the table. Probably three quarters of the people around that table are feeling or have felt that same way at some point. Um, And that's not a surprise because we expect and ask leaders to constantly go into new territory as well. That's something we haven't talked about yet. But if you're going to be future focused and opportunities driven, you're inevitably going to be breaking new ground, which is part of the interest of it and part of the fun of it, if I'm honest. But it's also part of where the insecurity comes from. There's no path to follow here. There isn't a well-trodden path that I'm I'm going down. It's 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 new I'm, car- I'm carving out the path and what if I'm going the wrong way yeah yeah and, and I think it's a nice sort of uh, differentiator that you make between managing and leading where managers will deal with the current state mm. and leaders are talking about a future state mm. and as you say the future state there's no trodden path because mm. if you're going to repeat yourself you're always doing what you've always done so and we know that's not always the best way to approach it so I guess that unknown and being comfortable with that unknown is a key factor here. Definitely. Um, and, and the other key factor I'm picking up, Laura, is people being comfortable with their own, with themselves mm-hmm. and, and who they are and um, knowing that they may not know everything, but they're comfortable with that. Mm. Is that something you see with your coaches? Well, there's all sorts of research and themes around authentic leadership here, isn't there, that actually you shouldn't and I think this is part of the temptation of any lead, any new leader actually but possibly particularly ones who are younger than the norm is they feel they have to be the same as everybody else who's a leader that yeah. they need to emulate everybody else what does leadership look like in this room right I need to be the same yeah. and I think they miss there that actually part of their real value to this senior team could be bringing what no one else does or could be looking at things a different way or suggesting something that hasn't been suggested before rather than going along with the group think um, and that might even have been part of the reason that their forward thinking organisation invited them into that room, that arena in the first place. So I definitely encourage people not to try and dim their light of who they are or not to try and put forward things or rather to not to avoid putting forward things that are different or suggestions that others might not come up with. That could be where your unique value to this room is. Yeah. and. It feels like being authentic, uh, being competent and confident are key factors. Mm-hmm. Um, if you wouldn't mind, just unpick a little bit further about how you would work with a coachee and who would show some of those areas of that needed that those areas for development and without obviously without breaching confidentiality. So maybe some case studies of recent clients that you work with that success stories where you've helped mm-hmm. develop that and, and that's really shone through as a as a senior leader? Sure. Um, One of the people I worked with 
most recently kind of had a lot of self-doubt even in quite early days in the role you know gosh the classic imposter syndrome you know should I be at this level you know have I been promoted one rung too far perhaps have I overstepped um, particularly because of course it feels uncomfortable in the beginning any move up should otherwise frankly you've left it too late and you should have should have made the move a, a bit earlier it should feel some degree of discomfort because it should be a stretch um, but she was particularly struggling with that thought early on so straight away early on we tried to reflect a lot on what it had taken to get into this senior leadership role and very 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 few organizations I've ever come across promote someone to a senior leadership role on a whim that's just not how it happens these days sure. um, yeah. it will have been some degree of probably some sort of promotion board or interview process they will have needed to go through perhaps they needed to present a, a presentation of their first 30, 60, 90 days in the role. Um, you can bet your bottom dollar that 360 feedback has been sought from all sorts of people about this yeah. person. Um, and the chances are, if you're being promoted internally in an organisation, particularly corporate these days, there are probably succession plans <laughs> that exist that had you earmarked for future leadership a long time before you happen to be sitting in that seat. Those things are evidence-based factual, long-term, require multiple people seeing in you leadership capability. So in order to believe you're not worthy of that seat, you have to believe that all of that was wrong. You have to believe that sure. the evidence was wrong or collected poorly. You have to believe that all of the, the people who gave 360 feedback on you, who you probably respect and admire, were wrong. Mm -hmm. On the promotion board that day were wrong. You have to believe an awful lot of unbelievable things actually when you start to sure. unpack it if you're going to believe that your imposter is right yeah so part of what helps to overcome that in the first place is looking at the evidence of what it took to get you there this wasn't some cosmic accident that you ended up in this seat all sorts of things had to be in place and had to be true for you to be there in the first place so even day one that should help you reduce your imposter syndrome I, I really I love that approach because you're getting them to reflect of where they've been and why they are in that position. And I guess it's a third party endorsement mm. that, you know, we believe in you. Otherwise, we wouldn't have promoted you. And, you know, this doesn't, as you say, win. This has been months, if not years in the development to get you to where you are. So we believe you've got the ability and capability to fulfill that role. And that's true. There's evidence even if you came from outside to be into a leadership role, even if you yeah. came from a different organisation, um, they interrogate that person even more so. You know, right. you probably will have been up against one or more internal candidates. Yeah. You will have been up against other external candidates. They will have been really rigorous scoring processes because they have to be legally when you're recruiting from externally as well as internally. Um, the chances are there were probably multiple people in your interview you might well have these days done things where you had to have second interviews with a different set of people. You might have even had to sit and sit with a panel of employees and talk through various things with them and see how you land with them. It, it's even if there was only a relatively short timescale of your interaction with this organisation before you became a leader in it, it will have been packed with content and evidence. Mm -hmm and opinion from people who know what they're talking about when it comes to senior leadership and and people who are a good fit for it. I guess from what you've said uh, in this conversation is that even then some people still turn up with doubt. 
mm. in their mind, whether they can fulfill the role. Mm. So starting with where they've come from and, and, you know, that sort of background and that journey so far is what's the next stage if there's still that doubt there? So the doubt can hit at any time, you know, it right. can hit when you get your first big project or it can hit when you've um, reached, you know, the three month mark and, and still don't yet really have something concrete you can point to because you're on a six month project or it, it can yeah. come at any time. Um, when that happens, um, again, looking at evidence is the key. Mm. When we talk about impo- imposter syndrome in terms of its component parts and how it's made up, psychologically speaking imposter syndrome is this huge we call it a cognitive distortion it's your brain literally being distorted in terms of what it's seeing it's to use a simple analogy it's like you're wearing the wrong glasses you can't see accurately because what your brain is doing is taking all of this conjecture fear anxiety that you have that are feelings and presenting them to you as fact yeah yeah you're not up for this you're not good enough for this you got promoted too early you don't have the skills to be here and actually all of that is fear and anxiety rather than fact so again the best way through that is to connect with fact and evidence so you could do that by bringing some of the things we've talked about already into the room you could ask if you can have a 360 feedback exercise done on yourself in the role I'm six months in now. I'd be really interested to understand more my impact and how I'm landing with people. HR team, could you conduct a confidential 360 feedback exercise for me, for example? Mm. Um, You could connect with things that you have done. If you're a leader of people, what does their latest people satisfaction survey look like because of the cultural tone that you've set? Um, Even if your project hasn't delivered its ultimate deliverable yet, the chances are you've met milestones along the way and met timescales that were necessary along the way there will be evidence there but the best way to do this the best tool that I've found and use constantly in all in all honesty myself and as well as with all the um, senior leaders that I coach is um, I don't even know what the official term for this is but I call it a confidence bank and you get a confidence bank ready in advance you don't wait to the moment when you're feeling imposter syndrome to try to recall all these wonderful scenarios where you're great, because that's asking yourself to look at things differently when you're already wearing the wrong glasses. So what I encourage my clients to do and what I do as a practice myself is to have a confidence bank. Now, some people buy a particularly fancy notebook for this, or some people have a file on on their laptop or on their phone, but basically it's the place where you collect all the evidence of your greatness in this case your greatness for leadership that could be big things like things you have delivered or a strategic plan you wrote or um, the employee survey scores we just talked about or it could be just great words of affirmation from somebody that you respect or admire when you finish a presentation and someone says that was really interesting and you think gosh I used to look up to you so much and think I would never ever impress you and yeah, here nice. um you collect all those moments big and small as you go you put them into your confidence bank and then when the day comes when you've got the wrong glasses on the cognitive distortions at play and the imposter is saying all sorts of horrible things to you based on your fears you go to your confidence bank and you make a withdrawal you find one of those previous instances and you really connect with it so perhaps it was that moment where you 
um, delivered a successful presentation. Now, rather than just think of that abstract, you need to really connect with it. Let's go back to the day when I was in that room. Who else was in the room? What did I see from them? What was it was happening? I could see them nodding. I could see them leaning forward. I could see them engaging. Yeah, so you and bring I'm, it alive. And yeah, I'm going to hear that yeah. person who said that yeah. lovely comment about how interesting it was at the end. And I'm going to reconnect with that feeling when I walked out of that room and felt 10 feet tall because I knew I had really done myself proud. That's evidence. And yeah. that helps to really push the imposter away. You connect with one specific example in a really deep way. But actually, a really interesting thing happens over time, your book gets fuller or your files needs a new page. Yeah. And it can get to the point where your imposter can be striking. The self-doubt can be there. And just the simple act of opening it up and leafing through and realizing, wait a minute, there's pages, multiple pages here of actual evidence that I am a capable leader. Yeah. That can sometimes be enough for you to close the book and go, I have got this. Yeah. I do deserve to be here and I am doing a good job. And I, I love that because, as you quite rightly say, that's something you can everybody could start now. Right. They don't have to wait to get promoted to a senior leadership right. role. You start building that. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners were thinking, right, I'm going to have to buy that that posh notebook or start a folder in my on my on my laptop. So I think I think that's fantastic. And I, and I love where it gets to a position where the book becomes so heavy. You go, well, I don't need to even open it because I just know that I'm great. And that's building that confidence within within that realm. So I, I love that. Love that analogy. Right. And actually, the really there's another side benefit to it, which, which isn't the reason for the confidence bank in the first place. But it, remember, it is evidence. So actually, if you're not yet in that leadership role, what great evidence for a promotion yeah. interview. Here's all the collective achievements that I've had that I probably would have forgotten lots about. Yeah. But all here and that helps me prepare for my promotion interview. Or if I'm facing my first appraisal as a leader and I'm thinking, gosh, that question is going to come up. What what have you delivered? How have you resonated as a leader? What's your impact been? Confidence bank. It's all here. It's there. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so simple as well. Right. You just. Right. Yeah. I love it. So, um, yeah, very practical tool. Mm -hmm. And and I guess what you're talking into here is having these skills, um, managing the sort of the inner critic, if I may call it that, by having that confidence bank, which, which is a brilliant tool. Um, the other thing you spoke about was those sort of key stakeholders. Mm. And you talked about having some tools around stakeholder management and other things. Um, certainly when I'm working at a, a leadership, senior leadership role, is that that managing stakeholders and other people not only within the business but outside the business mm. it's a real critical skill to have so are there any tools or ideas that you can help people who are moving and developing themselves to become a senior leader that they can leverage and start thinking about now rather than in the role mm. um, I think the first possibly most important step before it even gets to that is is recognizing quite how critical that is yeah because, again, it's a bit more that intangible bit, isn't it? You, you can't really point to the great relationship you have with a particular senior leader. Um, but it, the impact of whether you do or don't have that particularly great relationship will be seen and felt from everybody. Yeah. So I think there's, first of all, the appreciation that this is an area I'm going to have to really spend time on. Invest is probably a better word. Invest time in. And this is work I'm going to need to do to build skills in this intangible people bit because it matters so much for leadership yeah. as a part of the role of being a leader is being 
somewhat of a honeybee, really, getting to know all sorts of different people and stakeholders, having great relationships with them that then open doors for the people that you lead so that when they want to go and talk to this senior stakeholder or when they need to get buy in or approval or sign off from this senior stakeholder, the door's already open. Yeah. You're part of the conduit to that, a really important piece of that. And it's also about being able to make connections. Okay, so which is important for strategy, right? If if I know this person is doing this thing over here and I know this person is doing this thing over here, a huge part of strategic thinking is joining those dots, being able to make the linkages between how that piece of work could benefit this piece of work or how there are synergies of both that we could leverage. Yes, yeah. And actually how this person, knowing this person and connecting and I could do that for them. Yes, would this up or make it better or deeper or higher quality um that's a huge part of leadership and i think it's a big part that um, people underestimate making the move up to leadership quite how much time you're going to need to spend talking with people yeah and then it's my experience as well laura is exactly that that people underestimate the time and effort Mm -hmm. but also don't see it as a priority Mm -hmm. because at that current point they don't necessarily need to but they do need to if they're going to develop and become that leader and more strategic way of operating and more collaborative and connected in the, the way that they, they work. So I, I certainly spend a lot of time helping senior leaders already there to try and build those and wish that they had before they went into into mm. that role. Mm. And then in terms of tactics for that or what that looks like in progress, in process, I, th- I think it looks like being as strategic as action oriented as intention driven about people as you would for example about product if somebody said to you what's your plan your three six month one year plan for your product senior leaders would think that was right in their responsibility i should have a plan for my product that's timed that's going to get it to the right place if we're all agreeing and it sounds like we are that the relationship piece is every bit as important if not more so I try to work with senior leaders to be as intentional, as strategic, as action oriented around their relationships as they are around their product. Yeah. So we map stakeholders, for example. Okay, how are you going to shift the needle on this relationship? What does that look like? How are you going to show up for that? How often? In what way? And let's reflect back on it in three months time and see whether the relationship improvement you want to see is there. Yeah. It's not going to you don't look at your product and think, well, I think it will just evolve naturally to the space I want it to. You put intention and action into that. And yeah. from my perspective, and I've seen it work a lot of times as a coach, when you get that intentional and action oriented around relationships, they get to the outcomes you want way more of the time than if you just hope organically that they get there. Yeah. And, and that's sort of a very simple tool, as you, you mentioned already, that stakeholder analysis is, one of the questions I ask those individuals I'm working with, what does success look like for their stakeholders? Mm-hmm. Because if you can understand that, then part of your role as a leader is to also make them successful, not just yourself, mm-hmm. but them successful as well. Mm-hmm. And then that will help to, to bond the, the relationship and the connectivity because they will see you as someone who can help them to be successful and mm-hmm. not just fulfilling your own, going to them just to fulfill your own success. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's always a question which people can't always answer, which I find fascinating. Absolutely. Um, it's, and this is where I think the most powerful senior teams exist is where they are truly a senior team 
rather yeah. than a, a group of siloed players who play in this when senior teams can really exploit the linkages between themselves what they can bring to one another that's when they deliver something really exceptional um, and you're right showing up for colleagues in that way is a is a huge way to to build stakeholder buy-in to you as well and, and one of the questions that i have for you laura is you know, with the changes that have happened over the last two or three three years there's sort of a new world of work which has been created have you noticed any themes or areas that leaders are now having to work maybe differently in this new world rather than let's call it the old world pre-covid world mm-hmm. that, that you, you've noticed as themes or topics that are emerging that would be worth sharing for our listeners yeah i think there's two aspects to that question i think one is there's this whole new leadership skill and capability around leading in a hybrid world now mm. which just wasn't on the table or something never mind something key even as recently as five years ago this has happened fast yeah. that lead, and that leads leaders who are already there playing catch up to be honest um and it leads people who are not yet in leadership needing to be able to answer that question in something like a promotion interview how do you lead effectively in a hybrid world how do you create purpose and connectedness between people who are not co-located or not co-located much of the time how do you drive engagement in in a workforce that might be disparate across large geographies and even time zones some of those things are not questions that people who've ascended to leadership even as recently as five years ago would even have to answer so i think it brings that whole different suite of skills and capabilities and questions to answer for both existing leaders and aspiring leaders yeah so you said there were two things i think so i'm curious in the second yeah the second thing i was thinking about was getting into leadership in the first place i think when you're already a leader the move to being a leader who just works from home more often i don't think has been such a barrier you're already there um i think it's more challenging in all honesty for people who are aspiring to become a leader to do some of the things that get you there and anybody who's earlier in their career will resonate with the fact that so much learning happens from osmosis from when you're in an office from conversations that you hear around you um i remember when i was junior in my career i was really lucky to work in a team where the seat the more senior managers any opportunity they had they'd say actually do you want to come to this meeting lara you know it's it's not really in your area but if you have yeah. some time come and sit in or you can take the yeah, notes so many of those ad hoc opportunities that are provided for learning for leadership almost a bit of a leadership apprenticeship aren't there so much in a virtual world um the opportunity to hang out with senior leaders is not no. there as much because a lot of them can and do work remotely because they've already got there they've already yeah. achieved that badge they've already offered that expertise and and they frankly don't need that networking etc as much so i think the challenge for those aspiring to leadership is you need to be even more intentional about getting into those spaces. Yeah. If your um, organisation says you need to be in the office two days a week, you might want to try and challenge yourself to make it three and pick your days carefully in terms of who you might be able to have exposure to or learn from on the days you're in. Yeah. It might mean that you need to push yourself to attend conferences, events, seminars more than perhaps you might have done in the few, in the past in order to become networked in a face-to-face way I I think there is more of a challenge for people aspiring to leadership 
to get under their belt certain knowledge, become networked in a way that used to be a bit more organic when. Yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting point because you're right, you used to just drop in or bump into somebody or go to a meeting where others were there. And mm. now, you know, you have to be invited onto a Teams call or a Zoom call and you, know, you can't just drop into one of those. That would be a bit, bit strange. And so learning those new skills of connecting and networking with other leaders or even leaders to get your name and brand, personal brand aware within the organisation is is harder or different now. Right. And even that social side of hanging out with leaders, if you like, where you can learn so much about how they talk, what they talk about, all of those things. You know, we don't have so much of the, oh, so-and-so is moving on or is retiring or whatever. Do you want to come out to lunch? Yeah. You know, even that opportunity quite informally to hang out with leaders or, or bump into them in the kitchen making a coffee, it isn't there anymore. So I think that those aspiring to leadership have to be quite a lot more intentional about manufacturing those opportunities yeah. to interact with senior people. And, and I think there's the other way of looking at that as well, Laura, isn't there? That leaders who are already leaders also need to be aware that their talent pool and their future leaders are facing those challenges. So how does those leaders that are listening, how do they make that easier for, you know, younger leaders, leaders that are up and coming to be able to network and connect in a way? So I think there's both ways. And I guess that links into as a as a future leader mentoring, which you haven't mentioned, which I'm surprised. Um, So talk to me, if if you wouldn't mind, about your views and sort of experiences of mentors that are helping leaders to become senior leaders. Mm. If you are somebody who has aspirations for senior leadership, you absolutely, absolutely should have a mentor. And I say a mentor a bit flippantly because you probably should have a few, actually. Um, And the reason for that is because particularly if you're somebody who's going to break the mould or is aiming to be in a senior leadership position younger than would be the norm, you're still going to be expected to evidence the things that senior leaders do you're still going to be it's expected to evidence the capability of thinking etc so the more you can expose yourself to interactions with somebody who you want to be when you grow up professionally speaking the better and that's where mentorship comes in um it is different to coaching coaching a coach doesn't necessarily have to have trodden the path that you want to tread but a mentor absolutely has and the wisdom of that experience that they can bring you is is huge. Yeah. And you might have mentors for different things. I've always made sure when I was in-house in organisations in senior leadership roles, I always made sure I had a kind of deep mentoring relationship, if you like, with a particular mentor for then and what I was doing then. But actually, there's people I worked with in my very first ever job. I worked with a fantastic team. And, you know, they're in senior leadership now, all of them. And still when I'm grappling with something big or have a question mark, or even when I've had key career moments where I could go for job X or job Y, they're the people I contact. And we might not have spoken for four years or five years, but their experience of me literally from day dot means that they can offer me an insight and a wisdom, which is so appreciated. And, and I'm always amazed at how many people, leaders, do not have mentors uh, to support them. You know, ask a question, they look at you puzzled and say, mentor, why would I have a mentor? Well, I'm like, well, why? You're crazy not to. Absolutely. You say it's critical. Um, yeah, I wouldn't And you? it plays a key part in networking. And it, it goes back to that old adage, it's not what you know, it's it's who you know. 
Um, And and sadly, to become a senior leader, you need to be known and therefore you need to know people and know what they know and their connections. So absolutely is a critical for me. It's a critical element of becoming a senior leader. Absolutely. And I suppose probably what we should touch on here then, Trayton, is the question that a number of your listeners might have, which is how do I get one? If if I do want to into it, how do I actually get one? So I think from my experience, there are several ways, not even just one way that you could get a mentor. Um, For a start, the obvious one is ask your organisation's HR team, do they have a mentoring scheme? Um, A lot of organisations do. Um, If they don't, you can absolutely ask them, is there somebody you know of who's a senior leader who's keen to have a mentee, who's keen to become a mentor? Could you match us up? Um, Then beyond your organisation, if the answer is unfortunately no to both of those questions, Hopefully, as an aspiring senior leader, you are a member of your industry's professional body. You should be, because that shows your intent to make this your long term career. Um, And also, obviously, it gives you the opportunity to hang out where leaders in your industry hang out and all of those good things. Um, Most professional bodies have a mentoring scheme. So you can absolutely try asking your professional body, can I be matched with a mentor? Um, The third way you can get yourself a mentor is to find someone and ask. I've been a mentor for a number of people during my career and I think most of them have been because people approached me and said would you consider being my mentor. Never be shy of asking that question because at the very least the person on the other end of it is flattered Um, but and might have to quite honestly say I don't have the capacity at the moment Um, but the chances are they say yes to mentoring in some way shape or form even if it's a one-off coffee that's still mentoring. Yes. Yeah. But a lot of people will be willing to invest in you and your development and growth as a future leader long term and be your mentor and accompany you on the journey. And, and I think that's a really important point for our listeners to to hear is that most leaders want to help you become a leader. Mm-hmm. So see it as a sort of um, a privilege to be able to support you on, on your journey. Mm. Um, so you're absolutely right. Ask. The worst thing they can say is, is no. Right. And very, very, very few do. Yeah. <laughs> Laura, listen, it's been a fascinating conversation. I, I've loved this and I just feel, you know, and can hear in, in your, their approach to the practicalities of the tools that you've been giving your coaches and, and made them successful in their own leadership journeys. Before we come to the close of this session, I, I have one final question, which I ask all my guests. Um, and our, our purpose at Coaching Focus is coaching for a better tomorrow. Mm. So I'd love to understand from your perspective, what does coaching for a better tomorrow mean to you? Oh, gosh, wow. Um, Coaching for a better tomorrow. Uh, If we're talking in terms of the senior leadership piece, I would love to think a better tomorrow looks like a world where there isn't a mould. Be that a mould around age that we talked about today, but obviously around all sorts of other factors like gender, race, economic background, etc., I would love to think that we would get to a better tomorrow where a senior leadership table, you could walk into the room and you couldn't really name the mould. Um, not only is that way better from an equality and equity point of view, but it's actually way better from a business point of view yeah. because that diversity around the table drives you towards much higher quality decision making, much broader and um, more possibilities driven visioning. So many of the things that make businesses and organisations successful come from that diversity. 
So there's all sorts of ways that I can see coaching for better tomorrow panning out. But in terms of the topic we're talking about today, Trayton, and in terms of senior leadership, it my better, brighter tomorrow would look like there not being a mould for senior leadership. Yeah, I love that. No moulds within organisations and sort of diversity and inclusivity and equity across all leadership teams and boards. So not just because they're the right thing to do morally, but because they lead to the right things. Mm-hmm. Business. And they truly and they truly believe in that. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Laura, it's been a real pleasure to have you as a guest and thank you right. for all your wisdom and practical tools, which I'm sure our listeners have taken away. And we'll start going out and buying that uh, that journal to start building that confidence bank. So thank you so much. Fantastic. Thank you.